together and assemble together in the house of God. I appreciate the Sunday school hour this morning and I thank the Lord for the truths of the Word of God. And uh, it's not uh, one of them scriptures that you have to single anybody out because it ought to touch all of our hearts and affect all of us. It ought to convict all of us because we do get a little too comfortable and a little too caught up in the things of the world and uh, too caught up in the world system, what the world has to offer. And I thought about while Brother Tim was teaching, something kept coming to my heart and my mind that there's a fine line in a lot of things. And I feel like a lot of times we fall over the line and get too caught up in things we ought not to get caught up in. That if kept in their place, there would be no sin or wrong in them. But when they come to the place where they take our time and our attention and our affection away from the things of God, then it becomes a problem. Not only does it become a problem, but it becomes sin in the life of the believer. I really believe that if you study the scripture, I believe that's where that verse falls in our life. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. It's not just measuring or looking over our life and seeing things we probably could have done or should have done, but I believe it's allowing things of the world to take precedence over the things of God in our life. That's when it becomes sin in our life. God help us all. We are all guilty. All of us. And uh, we're such creatures of habit. We get so caught up in our routine that oftentimes we don't even realize what we're doing while we're doing it. And that's true. If you don't think we're creatures of habit, just take a measure. And I'm being honest with you and you be honest with yourself. Take a measure of yourself in your flesh this morning and see if just having one hour off kilter doesn't affect you in some way. It does. Whether we get it taken away or added to The Sunday of time changes are always a Sunday that physically the preacher dreads because it affects us in every aspect. And it's true. We're such creatures of habit that any little thing affects us. And we've come to the place in our life that any little thing will keep us from the things of God. And I mean more than just the house of God. We've got on that line, and I believe you ought to be faithful, but there's more to being a Christian and a child of God than just coming to the house of God. But any little thing will throw throw a wrench in our life and it will affect everything about the things of God. We go to scrambling to try to figure out how we can get everything else done besides the things of God. And that is right. And I say us. We're all guilty at some point of some percent in our life of loving the world and the things of the world. God help us. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. He said the Gentiles seek after food and raiment. and all. He said your heavenly father already knows you have need of these things. He said if you'll put him first, He'll see to it that all these things will be added to you. And I'm glad I know that's right. And I thank the Lord for the privilege to be in the house of God. First Samuel chapter 17. If you have a copy of the Word of God this morning and want to turn with us, we'll be in the book of First Samuel 
chapter number 17. Very familiar scripture, very familiar record and story in the Word of God. We've all heard it read and preached on numerous times. But this is where my heart is this morning. The Lord dealt with my heart about this yesterday and through the night and then again this morning. And I want to try my best to give you what's on our heart for the service this morning. If you'll pray for us, that the Lord will help us. I'm very much aware that I've got to have Him. I need His help and I need His touch here in the service today. First Samuel 17, if you found your place and you're able, willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read a lot of verses this morning. I'll try to read them as quickly as I can, but I feel the need to this morning. I just trust the Lord will help us uh, to read it, get it out, and then give you what's on our heart this morning. First Samuel 17, beginning in verse number 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. The name of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, Next unto him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. Look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. Took and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench 
as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him, were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and, the, and make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Taketh away the reproach from Israel, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? With whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? For I know thy pride, and the naughtiness of thine heart. Thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. When the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing out the five the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. For I have not proved them, and David put them off him. He took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. The sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near unto David. The man that bare the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, 
and I will smite thee, and I take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with spear, sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came, drew near to, drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheet thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I know I read a lot of verses this morning, 51 to be exact. And I thought this morning, I thought, well, I ought to apologize, but I don't think there's any apology necessary for reading from the Word of God. But I felt led, I have, that this scripture's been on my heart, and uh, the Lord has showed me something I never had seen before, and I thank Him for it out of these verses. And uh, we all know this story and are very familiar with it. It's one of the first Bible stories and records that we teach our children about David and Goliath. And uh, I'm interested in Goliath this morning. And I'm interested in what the Bible calls Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. The Bible calls him a champion. In verse number 4 it says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. In verse 23, as David talks with his brethren, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. In verse 51, the last verse that we read, when David prevails and cuts Goliath's head off, the Bible said when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And I'm interested this morning if God will help me uh, to preach for just a little while on facing the champion. Now, we have an understanding in our English language about what a champion is. But our understanding of the word champion and the Hebrew language of the word champion are not the same thing. But the word champion literally, and this is the only time in all the Bible that this word champion is used, is these three times in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the word champion literally means the man that stands between the armies. And so Goliath has come out and he has stopped the battle and he is standing between the two armies. Now there's the Philistines on this side who are the perpetual enemies of the nation of Israel. They have a lot of spiritual significance and application to us in our day. The Philistines 
things both represent our flesh and they also as was taught this morning in the Sunday school hour represent the world system that is a constant battle that the people of God are always coming against and it is a battle we fight day in and day out both with our flesh and with the world our first fight is with our flesh I believe that we're in a day where we have sidelined the fight with the flesh and we pretend like our greatest battle is with the devil and it's not it's with the flesh it is the flesh that draws us toward the world it is the flesh and the desires of the flesh that constantly pull us in the opposite direction against God and we give the devil way too much credit for things in our day when most often the problems and the situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in are a direct result of our flesh. And so the word perpetual means ongoing. And always through the Old Testament, if there's no other record of any other battle, it is a perpetual thing of the children of Israel are always fighting against the Philistines. And so it is with us and our flesh. We are constantly fighting with the flesh. And so normally how it would have gone is the Philistines would have come up on this side of the valley and the children of Israel would have come up on this side of the battle of the valley and they would have shouted and they all would have plunged into the valley to fight the battle. But Goliath has walked out in the midst and he said there's no need to fight. There's no need to do it like we've always done it. The Bible said they had put the battle in array, army against army. That means they're all in their armor, they're all in line, they're all, they all look the part, they all sound the part, they're all in their place, but there's no fighting going on. And I'm afraid in this day that we have a champion who is standing, and I'm not talking about a person, but I'm talking about circumstances or situations or mindsets that have got our mind off of the fight and all we can see is the champion. When Goliath walked out, it took the children of Israel's mind off the battle that they should be fighting and all they could see was the champion. And I'm afraid in our day, in our modern age of church, we have been blindsided and our, our attention and our focus has been taken off the battle that we should be fighting. Paul told Timothy he had fought a good fight and we're all in a battle. We're all in a war. We're all in a warfare. We have weapons that are not carnal but they are mighty through God. They're pulling down of strongholds. We have a helmet and a breastplate and the gospel to shot our feet with and the shield of faith and all these things and the sword of the spirit but there's no fighting going on. Because we're too caught up in the champion. Someone or something that has stalled the fighting that we should be fighting. 
Now I began to think and just tried to stay true to the scriptures and ask the Lord to lead my thoughts. I never had saw this before, never really had studied this word, but it kept coming up off the page in my heart. And I felt a drawing out of this by the Holy Ghost to look up this word champion and how that Goliath just, it doesn't say, there's not, there's no record in here that he consulted with anybody. He just stepped out on the battlefield and he said, no need to fight today. It seems like a lot of things, a lot of people, and I'm not talking about maybe not necessarily a person in general, but a lot of groups and a lot of people have stalled the fighting that should be going on in our day. And I asked the Lord, I said, who is, what is a champion? What are things in our day? And I could preach about a whole lot of them, but I want the Lord to help me and guide my thoughts. And I, I began to stay true out of the scripture here. I said, what's going on? And I, what are some reasons? What are some champions? Some things that are coming between us and the battle that have got us at a standstill. There's no progress being made. I thought about, if you read verse number 1, the Bible starts off, and everything in here is for a reason. God didn't put nothing in this Bible just to take up space. But the first word of 1 Samuel 17 is, Now. Now. At this point, at this moment. Why now? Why did the Philistines choose now to come against the children of Israel? Well, I think if you study the Scripture, it's pretty evident that 1 Samuel 17 begins with now because of what has happened in 1 Samuel 15. That Saul has been rejected from being king over the land of Israel. And an evil spirit has come upon Saul. And now he is unfit for leadership. I'm going to say in our day, some of the Things that are standing between us and progress is that we're not dealing with our souls. Is we got a lot of unfit leadership in our day. And we can be real quick to run to the White House and real quick to run to Washington and run to the state capitol and all that's fine and well and all that's true. But I'm not interested in the world system. I'm talking about the people of God. We are in a day that in our churches and in our homes there is so much unfit leadership calling the shots. We got a lot of souls in our day. And because we have a lot of souls, we have a lot of wrong spirits in the house of God. That's right. Not every spirit is the spirit. John said, try the spirits whether they be of God. He said there are many antichrists that are already gone out into the world. He said there were some that started out with us. He said, but they went out from us. He said, because they were not of us. He said, if they were of us, they would have stayed with us. And we got a whole lot of unfit leadership. That's why that uh, mega churches are booming. That's why that there's so many alternatives to church. That's why contemporary stuff has 
taken over. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't care. And I'm not being mean this morning. You know me better than that. But it's on my heart strong this morning. I don't care how good the lyrics sound. I don't care how good the message sounds. If it's not of God, it's not of God. And you can't straddle a fence and play with the world and play with God at the same time. You cannot. It is scripturally impossible to hold hands with God and hold hands with the world at the same time. It's still in here, New Testament Bible, that we're to come out from among the world and be holy because our God is holy. Now I'm going to tell you what unfit leadership does at least in the pulpits. And it's on my heart this morning. I've got to preach it. Unfit leadership in our day has caused the people of God to come to the position where we believe that the dominating attribute of God is His love. And because He loves everybody then He loves everything. And He'll accept everything. I'm telling you it's nowhere in here that love is the dominating attribute of God. God is love. And God does in his people but God's reigning attribute is his holiness and he'll not violate his holiness but love anybody and I understand it's a general statement and I'm not trying to get you confused this morning I understand it's a general statement that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I understand that. That God does love the soul of every individual. And He loves the soul of man so much that He sent His Son. But it's still in this book that He hateth them that doeth iniquity. That is right. God cares for their soul, but God still hates sin. And in reality, whether we like it or not, And it may ruffle a lot of feathers in our day, but God hates sinners. The wrath of God, He loves their soul, but He hates their sin, and the wrath of God abides on them. That is right. It is right. God's reign and attribute is His holiness. And we're living in a day, and I hear people say, well... America was based, and I understand, thank God she was, on, on uh, religious values and Christian values and all of that, and it was. But I'm telling you, if God's going to keep His holiness, and He is, He'll not violate it for anything. Uh, Peter said what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah was to serve as an example of any that should follow after them. And if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah uh, for their wicked deeds, there's going to come a day. And I believe we've already stepped in a little bit, and maybe up to our ankles uh, that the judgment of God will fall on every nation that forgets God. The Bible said every nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. And that is right. And we got a lot of unfit leadership in pulpits that are producing unfit preachers, that are producing unfit professions. I'm telling you what's right. Uh, if God is holy and He demands us to be holy, we cannot dress like the world and talk like the world and act like the world and partake with the world and party with the world uh, Monday through Saturday and then come in the house of God and expect God to bless over our sin or over our worldliness. He never has and never will I believe we got a lot of souls in our day of unfit leadership and I don't believe it's just in the house of God I believe it's in the homes 
And I know this is right, and I know it's not popular this morning, but I know it's what's on my heart. We got men that won't be men. And ain't it a shame? I'm just preaching from my heart this morning. I mean, it's just us pretty much this morning. Ain't it a shame that we live in such mixed up Bible days that we got to back up and justify when we preach about a man being a man? I'm not talking about being a dictator or being a lord over it, but a man is supposed to be the leader of the house. And we got men that won't be men. And let their children do whatever they want to do and think somewhere in the back of their mind that it'll never affect them, it'll never bother them. I'm telling you, we're living in days where our focus is off the battle. We don't see that there's a warfare. We don't see there's an enemy that's waiting to cut our throat at every step that we're so fascinated and swept away and put on standstill by the champions of this day that are drawing our attention away from a battle that needs to be fought. Right. Feels right. The world does not care about your children. Hollywood don't care about your children. The job place don't care about your children. The banks don't care about your children. All of these things, and we're living, and it goes right hand in hand with the Sunday school hour this morning. It was stirring in my heart because I knew what the Lord wanted me to preach this morning. I knew what was on my heart. I'm telling you, we have sold our children out of the things that will affect them negatively in their spiritual life. I see it every day. We got men that won't make their children mind. You say, preacher, this ain't your place. It is when it affects the spiritual things. And I'm your preacher and I love you this morning. But if we don't teach children at an early age that there's an authority they must come under, why do we ever expect them to ever submit or come under the authority of a holy God? We're going to let our kids live 13, 14, 15 years and and treat them like they can never do anything wrong. And then when they do get in something really bad wrong, we want the Lord, the church, the preacher to bail them out. And I know the Lord's in the bailing out business. Thank God He is. But I'm telling you, we better teach them and train them that there's an authority over them and there are consequences either positive or negative for every action that we make. And so I say that we got souls standing in the way. We got unfit leadership, and because of that, we got wrong spirits. I've never seen a more confused generation than the generation I'm living in. And I'm telling you, God's not to author confusion. It's not His will for you to live in darkness and defeat and misunderstanding. God doesn't dwell in the darkness. He brings you to the light. When you get born again, He's in the light. He translates you out of darkness and brings you into His marvelous light. It's not His will for you to walk around wondering about God's will for your life, wondering about how to walk. That's why He gave us this book right here, but we got so many pulpits. I don't know why I keep coming back to that, but it's on my heart. All across our land that are filled with wrong spirits, evil spirit, but it can't be good and evil. It can't be part good and part evil. It's either the Spirit of God or it's the Spirit of the world. Oh, and the Spirit of the world can stir your emotions. It's real good at it. 
And the Spirit of the world can make you cry. And the Spirit of the world can move your feet. And the Spirit of the world can play with your mind. The Spirit of the world can make you feel like you need to do something. The Spirit of the world can do all these things, but it never produces anything good in the child of God. I thought about Goliath as he walks out on the battlefield. This champion... thought about his size. The Bible said that he was six cubits in a span. There's a lot of debate about what a cubit was. I don't think there's any point in debating this morning. He was much bigger than any other man on the battlefield. Depending on the interpretation of the cubit, he was either he was somewhere between nine and a half feet and eleven feet four inches tall. Somewhere, he was a big man. And his size... His size captivated their attention and drew them away from the battle. And that's all the Lord spoke to me this morning was size. And then, uh, or last night, and then this morning He came to me and He said, that, that's got more to do with just the size of the enemy. We're living in a day where people are all caught up in size. About the size of their church. About the size of their building. About the size of their vehicle about the size of their bank account, about the size of their popularity, about the size of their name in the community, about the size of this, and about the size of that. And the whole world is caught up in having bigger and better, and we have lost sight of the battle. And sometimes along the journey, we get like the children of Israel were in the context here, and we get caught up in what we feel like is the size of the enemy. And we get to thinking that we're happy. the reason all these men would not go against Goliath is because they were all looking at their own ability. Eliab and every other man on the battlefield was looking at his size versus Goliath's size. His ability versus Goliath's ability. And I'm going to tell you how I know besides the fact that God rejected him in 1 Samuel 15, I'm going to tell you how I know that Saul was unfit for leadership is because when David walked in the tent where Saul was, and reality is if we were going to go on size, Saul should have been the one going out against Goliath. He stood head and shoulders taller than any man in all Israel. But Saul was unfit for leadership because when David walked in, the first thing Saul commented on was his size. He said, you can't go look at your size and look at his size. And that's what all the other men were doing. And we can be hard on them if we want to. But how often in our own life do we look at our ability, our size, our strength, our gumption, and then look at the mountain or the giant before us and say we can't do it, and it brings us to a standstill. David did not have more experience than they did. David did not have more training than they did. Matter of fact, he had no experience in warfare. He had no training as a soldier. He didn't even have any weapons as far as the world system would say you need to fight the battle. He walks in. He's a shepherd. He's not a soldier. And Saul says, well, if you're going to go, he said, you've got to have this with you. And he begins to put armor on him. 
And David says, I can't go. I can't use this. I'm not proved this. Now I'm going to tell you what we'll do if we're not careful. We'll get caught up either in the size of the enemy, and it fits both things here, the size of the enemy or the size of what everybody else has got, and we'll get to putting on things that have never been proven so that we can look like everybody else. I know that's right. I know it ain't popular, but I know it's right. So what Saul was saying, an unfit leader with a wrong spirit, is if you're going to go out on the battle, you need to look like everybody else. But God didn't want David to look like everybody else. God wanted David to be David. Now I'm going to tell you something this morning, child of God. God didn't save you and put you in the family to make you like everybody else. I saw something this week, and I'm not a big proponent of social media, but every now and again, something good comes on. I saw a quote this week. I don't remember who, uh, who it was that put it on there, but they talked about uh, convenient or casual holiness. And he said, that's what the people of God have in our day. They measure their holiness by everybody else's holiness. That's not our standard. My standard's not you. And your standard's not me. But all of our standard is God. And if you measure up to Him, you'll fall short every time. But see, what Saul wanted was David to look like he thought he should look. When God sent a little shepherd boy down there with a staff and a sling and put five stones, I don't know why he put five, You can give your own opinion, your own interpretation. It's not in the Bible explicitly to tell us. I know Goliath had four brothers. I don't know if David intended on killing all of them. I understand that five is the number of grace or at least associated with it in the Word of God. I don't know why he got five, but something in David told David that day to pick up five stones God put there. And when David reached in his bag... It was the Spirit of God that put David's hand on the right one for that hour. And can I tell you something this morning? I didn't come up with this. I claim no originality to it. Brother Hanley Milby was preaching in a pulpit in a church I was pastoring. And he said this and looked right at me. And I've never got over it. He said, if it's your hour and you are God's man or woman for that hour and that battle against that giant, he said, there's nobody else on earth that can do what you can do for God if it's your hour. You may analyze and say, all I've got is a staff and a script, five stones and a sling, and you don't know which of the five to pick up. You don't know what to do. But if God's got His hand on you, and if God's put you here for this hour, and if God's put that giant in front of you at a face at this hour, there's no, don't look at everybody else. Don't try to be like everybody else. Don't try to find armor like everybody else. Go with what God has given you and watch what God can do with you in your hour. Now I understand this morning there's a standard of living and holiness that's given in this book. And I'm not preaching against that or about that. I'm talking about us trying to fit in with everybody else's ideas and ideals. And what it does is, can you imagine, hear me this morning, can you imagine this little bitty boy who is ruddy of a fair countenance, the youngest of his father's boys. Saul's already head and shoulders taller 
than any man in all of Israel, let alone taller than a little shepherd boy. Can you imagine what David must have looked like or the load that it must have put on David to try to put on Saul's armor? Now it's the same thing that's happening to us when we try to come under the yoke of bondage and burden of meeting everybody else's standards and everybody else's ideals. You better stick with what you know is in the Word of God because all that other stuff will do will trip you up and hinder you in the battle. And so size oftentimes becomes the champion. I thought about this man Goliath. And the Bible talks about this this armor he had on. Greaves of brass upon his legs and a coat of mail of brass and a target of brass between his shoulders. I thought about, can you imagine when he stepped out in the sunlight how that armor sparkled and how it shined. Must have been something to look at. And all through the Word of God, you ought to, when you read Scripture, sometimes follow the direction of God always. But you ought to look at names. They're always significant. The name Goliath means splendor. He really did look like something. He had a lot of sparkle and a lot of shine. And because of his size, it really looked like a lot of sparkle and a lot of shine. I'm going to tell you something. In our church world today, we have run. The people of God have run to everything that glitters. Everything that's got a lot of sparkle and got a lot of shine. But they soon going to find out everything that glitters is not gold. And I'm afraid a lot of people have been, have been brought to a standstill in their fight against their flesh because they are indulging on everything that glitters and shines. And a lot of it's going on in the name of religion. And it's consuming the church world because we have stalled our fight. You can't go one day without fighting your flesh. You cannot go one day. Paul said it's a law. The enmity, there is enmity between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And it's an always ongoing warfare. I understand that walking with the Lord, you can get some victory over things, but there'll never be a day until we drop this robe of flesh and go out of here that you will ever come to the place where you have overcome your flesh. You may put it in subjection. There's a lot of types in the Old Testament. The first battle the children of Israel had coming out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, and their deliverance is a type of salvation. And the first battle they had was with Amalek, who was the son of Esau. And Esau is always a type of the flesh. That was their first battle. Not with the world, not with the devil, with their flesh. That will be your first battle and your ongoing battle all the days of your life. And Moses stood on top of the mountain with the rod of God which symbolized the presence and the power of God. And as long as he held it up, as long as it was visible, then the people of God prevailed. And they did prevail. And the Bible said they discomfited Amalek. It does not say they defeated him. They discomfited him. And that word discomfort means to put in subjection. And the Lord swore 
that he would have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And I'm telling you, we may not be in the wilderness and we may not be fighting against Amalek himself, but we are having that same warfare that God spoke about in Exodus. We're still fighting it today and it's against our flesh. And then I thought, and I'm done. I thought about sin. If you look at all these things, Saul's unfit for leadership, Saul's wrong spirit is a direct result of his sin. And I think it fits really well with what was said this morning in the Sunday school hour. John said, love not the world. He didn't list off ten specific things. He said, anything that's associated with the world, don't love it. And I'm going to tell you what Saul's sin was. Disobedience. Not specific things. Or we could get into specifics that he intruded in the priest's office. He touched things and did things he was not supposed to do. But ultimately, when it all comes down, boil it all down, rubber meets the road, he disobeyed the command of God. Now I'm going to tell you what our problem is. Number one in this world today among the people of God is we're disobedient. We are disobedient. I'm not saying that you're out living in open gross sin. I'm not saying that you're guilty of all of those. That's one of our problems is we want to categorize sin and say, well, I'm not a thief and I'm not an adulterer and I'm not a murderer and I'm not all of this, so I'm okay. But the reality is, go back to that verse that I said before I even started reading scripture and preaching this morning. If we know to do good and we do it not, it becomes sin because it is disobedience in the life of the child of God. We spend all of our days, I'm saying us, it is the nature of our generation. This generation we've, we, have, we have raised and we have come to in 2023, we're all about justifying. I'm not talking about God's justification. I'm talking about our own selfish justifying. We want to justify why we do what we do and justify why we don't do what we don't do. And we want to make ourselves feel good about it when reality is it is bringing us to a standstill in a battle that must be fought. And the longer we don't fight our flesh, the stronger the flesh becomes. And the longer we don't fight our flesh, the more we reap repercussions of the flesh being in control. And the more it affect, we have lost sense of the fact that our sin, our disobedience, not only affects us, but it affects everybody around us. It affects your children. It affects your husband, your wife, your church, your friends, your co-workers, everybody you come in contact with. It affects everybody around you. There are a lot of things in my life over the years that I heard Brother Terry Pace say that I'll never forget, but I don't think as long as I have my memory and my mind is right that I'll ever forget him standing in this pulpit, probably about right here midways in front of this bench, and talking about how that the Syrophoenician woman realized why she cried help me is because it was her fault the actions she had done her sin her actions had caused her daughter to be in the shape she was in and the Lord brought it to my mind fresh again last night 
as I was going to bed after reading this, that Saul's disobedience, Saul's actions affected all the nation of Israel. I'm telling you, there's a warfare to be fought against our flesh, but there's something, there's some champion that has brought our eyes off of the warfare and turned our eyes on that. And all we can do is get every time, the Bible said he come 40 days and 40 nights. Morning and evening, he walked out. And all they could think about, as long as he stood there, was him. It was not about the Philistines. It was not about the battle. It was not about, I mean, he said things that you and I might not pick up on, but as I was reading it and I felt led to read after a few other men, some of the things that Goliath was saying, I mean, was strong language. And it never seemed to affect them. David got affected. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defieth the armies of the living God? But you never read. All, all the children of Israel, react, all their reaction is, have you seen this man? Not, have you heard what he's saying? Not, how dare he say this about us or about our God? All they can say is, have you seen this man? I think... If I read Scripture correctly, if chapter 17, and I believe it is, is a direct result of what happened to Saul in 1 Samuel 15 when Goliath walks out the first time on the battlefield, he said, I'm a Philistine and you're servants of Saul. In other words, he said, I'm a champion, I'm a warrior, and I got men behind me. And he said, all you all are are servants of an unfit king. And it never affected them because all they could see was the champion. And I'm going to tell you, we're losing things. We're losing ground. I understand that the church is always going to go forward. I understand that we're already conquerors. God's already given us the victory. I understand that. But there is a warfare to be fought while we're here. And our children are being affected. Our grandchildren are being affected. Our churches are being affected. Marriages are being affected. Homes are being affected. Because we've got so caught up in whatever the champion is in our life that we're not fighting the warfare that needs to be fought. And I know this is Sunday morning. I thought, Lord, this is not a Sunday morning message. But I guess it is because the Lord put it on my heart. We're all guilty. I'm going to say that with clarity this morning. Myself included. We are all guilty of being caught up in something that has hindered our vision of the battle that needs to be being fought. Whatever it is. Maybe our own selfish desires could very well be what it is. But I'm done this morning. Let's all stand.